And it is with that in mind that we look today at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. And this is a, this is a great passage, and so I look forward to kind of hearing it again. And let's begin. Luke writes, Meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And at this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. And I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we come to you this morning celebrating celebrating fall, celebrating 500 years of the Reformation, celebrating, first and foremost, you. We thank you, God, for the eyes that you have given us. and We pray that you would give us the eyes to see you more and more each day. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. 
Amen and amen. So this very well may be the most popular or most well-known of all the stories in Acts. In fact, of course, uh, uh, this story has kind of made its way into the American lexicon. You know, a lot of people can talk about, even those who, who, who aren't followers of Jesus, talk about their Damascus Road experience. It's a great passage, but, you know, truth be told, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes it's easy to get so caught up in the bright light that we, that we perhaps fail to see what is so important about this passage, about what conversion genuinely is. What does it mean to be converted? And so as I was thinking about that, and I kept looking over this particular passage, there's, there, there's a theme, it seems to me, that comes up again and again and again. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage again, but I, I just want you to listen to a few of these excerpts that I'm going to read. They heard the voice, but saw no one. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. For three days he was without sight. At this moment he is praying and he has seen in a vision. Lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. The Lord has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Conversion, it seems to me pretty clearly, is about seeing, and about seeing things well. In fact, uh, perhaps one way to say it is that conversion is about seeing things as they actually are. I think that's what you see happening here in the life of Saul. Think about this. Saul had everything figured out, right? Saul was type A, no question. If Saul was here now, he'd be living on the northwest side of Indianapolis. He would have everything together, right? I mean, he was, everything was going great, right? He's educated. He was a Roman citizen. He was religiously pure, he had power. Uh, he knew the right kinds of people, right? He went to the head priest. It was no problem for him to get this letter. He, he knew his mission. It was very clear. He was going to go get the followers of Jesus, right? He was invulnerable. He was safe. He was powerful. He knew what was happening. Nothing was going to touch Saul. He was in charge, and then, in one moment, when the light came down from heaven, everything changed. And in that one moment, all of a sudden, Saul, for whom it seemed he was completely in control, all of a sudden, Saul had no control at all. In fact, if you think about this image, it's a beautiful image, it seems to me, from, for all of us which is this image of these two, the Saul before versus the Saul after the light, the one for whom it seemed like everything was great and you had everything in control versus what I would say what is actually the case, which is that all of us, no matter how much we want to pretend it otherwise, all of us are vulnerable. Right? That all of us, think about Saul going from leading the way, all of a sudden being walking and being dependent on these other people like a child. And while the vast majority, it seems, of folks in our world like to think that we are in control, most of us go through some sort of conversion moment when if we have the eyes to see, we realize that we are not nearly as much in control and we are not nearly as safe and invulnerable as we once 
thought. Maybe it's a conversion of the light of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe it's a bad medical report. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's the severing of a relationship. All of those things, whatever it may be, all of those things shine light on the reality that we are not nearly as impenetrable and in control as we would like to think. And so in this moment, all of a sudden, when the light of Jesus comes down, Saul begins to see, even in his blindness, who he genuinely is. Not the person he wants to portray, not the person who it seems has everything in control, but the one who knows that ultimately he is completely dependent upon God. Now, I'm not big into kind of canned preaching stories um, uh, for various and sundry reasons, but there are three or four that I remember. One of those I was reminded of this week. It's the the story of the two uh, uh, battleships that were out doing maneuvers in the water. Maybe you've heard this one before. They're out there doing maneuvers. They they end their maneuvers, but it's still evening time, or it gets to be dark, I should say, and there's a bit of fog that comes in. And so so the captain of one of the ships decides he's going to stay up on the bridge and make sure everything's okay, and so he's doing that and then all of a sudden uh, the watchman comes in and says there's a light off of our starboard bow I have no idea what that is and so uh, I'm sure it's important though and so he said there's a light out there right and and so that you know the guy says okay well is it steady you know or is it moving if it's steady then that's trouble because that means we're going to run into him they said no it's steady so the captain says okay send out a signal telling that person to move 20 degrees so the, does that, the signal comes back, and it says this, and you move 20 degrees. Well, I always kind of like that little phrase, right? So the captain, right, he doesn't like that very much because he is a captain, and so he says that. He says, tell him, I'm a captain, move 20 degrees. Signal comes back. It says, I'm a second-class seaman, which is not very high-ranking. You move 20 degrees. Well, at this point, of course, the captain is livid, and so he decides to send off a signal again. He says, I am a battleship. Move your course 20 degrees. To which the other man with the light replies, I am a lighthouse. (laughs) And so the captain begrudgingly then says to his men, change course 20 degrees. It's been pointed out that in many ways Saul, right, is the battleship. Saul thinks that he's got everything figured out. He thinks that he's the top dog, that nothing can change him. But then he sees the steady lighthouse, if you will, right, the light of the world. And all of a sudden he realizes he's not nearly as impenetrable as he thought. But here's the other thing about that, which is that because of that, what Saul realizes and what we'll see in the days ahead for Saul is that what most of us need to realize is that when you see that, when you see who you are and who God is, that means that actually everything about you needs to change course. That conversion, seeing clearly, does not just mean that something has changed inside of you, though it has, but it also means that you have the eyes to begin to see everything differently, right? Don't we see this? This is a, this beautiful phrase where, 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 and you've heard this before, but where Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, not my followers, but why are you persecuting me? Do you hear the intimacy 
of that. That what Jesus is saying is when you persecute someone who is following me, you are persecuting me. I, I think I've kind of grown in an understanding of that just over the last couple of years as our children have gotten a little bit older now, especially the eight and six-year-old where dynamics begin to change. And so there's been a couple times when they've come home from school or, uh, and, and they, are, they are dejected. Maybe a friend said something to them or they got left out of something and they come in and they hold up to you and they begin to weep. And, and as they do that, it's this weird thing, right, where, where all of a sudden you almost begin to you feel the pain. And, and, and there may be even tears that begin to come down your own face, even though it didn't happen to you, right? Because why? Because they are so close, so intimate to you, to what you do. There's no disconnection. Right? And Jesus, this is exactly the way that he sees you and me, right? He sees, right, that when we begin to see, not only do we see Jesus differently, but we begin to see one another differently, right? We see this with the part of the story about Ananias. This is a great part of this story, right? Ananias, he's sitting there. He's minding his own business, right? And, and so there he is, and all of a sudden he gets this vision, right? And it's God. And God says, hey, Ananias, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's this guy named Saul, and he's coming into town, and I, I'd like for you to go and visit him, right? And, and Ananias is like, are you crazy? There ain't no way I'm going there. Right? Now he did, that, that's in the Greek. But, but, but that's really what he's saying there, right? He's saying there's, there's no way, right? And I love, I love this because God, God doesn't have time for this, right? God just says, what does he say? His very first word after Ananias talks about all these things, God just says, go, right? It's very much like what we do with, again, with our children, right? What, or at least what Megan and I do with our children. I don't know what you do with your children, but you know, uh, hey, you need to go brush your teeth. Go. Right? That's what we do. And then they just, they just they obey every single time. And so, just kidding. But there's no sense of, right? He says, go, right? And so, to Ananias' credit, he goes, right? And then what happens when he goes, right? This is, I mean, I hope you get how difficult this would have been for Ananias. That the very first thing he says, the very first word he says to Saul is... Brother, brother Saul. You see that slow conversion in Ananias? Now, I don't know how close he was when he said that to him, right? If it were me, right, in my own fallenness, I may have had one foot in the doorway, right, one foot out and been like, you know, Brother Saul, and then get ready to run, right? If all of a sudden he comes out, but for whatever reason, he stays there, right? And in that moment, Luke tells us, the scales from Saul's eyes fall off. And I have a feeling that there are some scales from Ananias' eyes that also fall off, right? That he continues to be converted, even Ananias to see that he who was once an enemy is now a brother in Christ. I think it is critical for us to understand that when we begin to see Jesus clearly for the God that he is, when we begin to see ourselves clearly for how dependent we are upon him, that we then begin to see one another clearly for the brother and sister in Christ that we are called to be to each other. Now, when I was growing up, I went to a couple different churches where they would always say brother so-and-so, brother Deck, sister Sally, you know, things like that. I always thought it was kind of weird, quite frankly, and a little bit backwards, right? It just, I don't know you, right? And, but 
the older I've gotten, the more that I have begun to really kind of love this. I call you all brothers and sisters in Christ all the time. In fact, my kids are, they're often like, Daddy, that's not your brother. Why'd you call him that, right? Well, the reason, right, is because it changes how we see each other. I shared this story before, but when my sister and I were growing up, I, I, you know, we didn't get along that well. She was four years older than me. I was way cooler than her. You know, I mean, that was not, not really true, but we were always fighting, right? And I can, I can remember thinking multiple times, if you, I don't know if I actually said it to her, but if you weren't my sister, there is no way that I would ever be a friend with you. There's no way that I would ever hang out with you. I would never talk to you again. But now, two and a half or three decades later, she is one of my closest friends. Why? Well, because we simply had to stay together. There was no choice. I asked my mother. No, there was no choice. She had to stay with us, right? But because she was my sister and I could not leave after 25 or 30 years, no, we don't, we don't agree on everything, but she, I love her dearly because we were committed as brother and sister. And while I hope that you all are friends with one another. While I hope that you have some good acquaintances here at CPC, my greatest hope is that you see each other not as just friends, not, but as brother and sister in Christ. To begin to see one another means that you have been converted yet one more time, yet one deeper way to begin to see one another just as Jesus sees us. Conversion, it seems to me, is also about how it is that we actually live our lives. I don't think I paid much attention to this particular part of this passage until um, uh, someone on staff said something about it on Wednesday when we were talking about this passage, about how God says that he is going to use Saul as his instrument. See, one of the things that happens as you are converted, as you begin to see more clearly, is that you begin to realize that this life of yours, which God has given to you, mind you, is not actually only about what you want and your own desires, but is about how it is that God might use you. This conversion story is pretty great because it's in great contrast to most of the conversion stories we usually talk about in our day-to-day in the church You know, oftentimes it's usually when you talk about a conversion story, especially kind of a more exciting one, it's it's been something where they've gone kind of from from rags to riches, if you will, right? I was lost. I was, you know, I lost a job. I was, you know, I was addicted or whatever it is. And finally I found Jesus and now everything has changed. And those are important stories. But that's not Saul's story. Remember, Saul had it all together. Everything was going great for Saul. He was living the dream, if you will, and then he met Jesus. And do you remember what happened to Saul slash Paul? Well, let's just hear from his own writings in 2 Corinthians what he said. I want you to hear this. That's, let's see here, is that the one? That's starting it too soon. Let's go to the next, uh, let's go to the next slide. 
Five times I have received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked." Saul was no marketing genius. This is not what we want to tell people about what happens when they begin to follow Jesus, is it? Right? This is not usually the message that we say. We've talked about before. This is not what's on our website. I I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, maybe we should, I mean, you know, there are other churches who have bumper stickers. Maybe we should have bumper stickers at ZPC, right? And we we could have a bumper sticker and they could say, everything was easy until I met Jesus right? Or maybe we could get some shirts, some ZPC shirts, right? And, and they say, you know, been flogged lately. I mean, that should bring them in, don't you think? Now, I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, and my hope is that none of us are flogged. But here's the reality. If you are genuinely, the more that you are converted, the more clearly you begin to see, the more you will begin to realize that following Jesus is going to cost you something. There will be sacrifices. There will be suffering. There is no way around it. I could stand up here and lie to you and just say, hey, everything's going to get better now that you've found Jesus. But it would be a lie. And I could tell you that you can just stay and, and, and live in your safe house and, uh, with your family and, and with good schools and, and, and with great vacations. And it's all just going to be great, you know. You just kind of sprinkle a little Jesus here or there on a Sunday morning and everything's wonderful. Well, that is a lie. And it's not a converted life, it seems to me. Because when you look at the world around us and you look then, compare it with the image of what God says his kingdom is going to look like, here's what I have to tell you. It is going to take some work to get to that place. And Jesus says, you are my instruments. You are my witnesses. And you cannot make those kind of changes from a safe distance. It will not happen. I wish it was otherwise, but it is not. And a converted life is one that realizes it is going to take sacrifice and even perhaps some suffering if we genuinely want to understand and see the world around us. And so the question then that I've been wrestling with over this week is, how are we doing? How are we seeing? And we frequently ask that question as leadership. We ask, how are we seeing and how are we doing and and what is it that our people are about? Because usually it's what the people are doing that tells you what it is that they are seeing, right? This week uh, we gave our dog a haircut. Why? Well, because of the fact that Megan saw him running into a wall and she realized that his hair was over his eyes. He could not see, so he could not do well. Are we, I know, it's negligent, don't tell any of the vets. Are we, are we doing a good job? And, and how, by what we are doing, can you tell how we are seeing? Right? You should always get an eye exam, right? How often should you get an eye exam? 
once a year. And so what we're doing, we do this every year, usually about this time. You are going to have, if you're not a ZPC or you can shut down and not listen to the rest of what I'm going to say, right? Maybe you already have. So you're going to get in the mail what some people, sometimes we call a commitment card, sometimes we call a stewardship drive. What we want to call it, though, what I want to call it this time, is an eye exam. And what I want you to do over the next couple of weeks is I want you to look at your life over 2017 and ask, how are you seeing by how it is that you are doing? Are you seeing clearly? Is it clear by the way that you're living that you know who you are, that you see clearly who Jesus Christ is, that you see who one another are, and that you see the world around you? I was doing that this, this week for us. I was thinking about ZPC as a whole and, 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 and thinking back to 2017. And as I was thinking about that, there are some stories that I think are wonderful. There's, uh, there, there's a story about um, the Purvis family. You probably already know about this, right? The Purvis family. We can see them right here. Uh, these are the Purvises, right? And so, and there's, uh, there, there's Mark and Mary Kay and Cooper is in the middle. And, and this past year, this was about maybe three, four months ago now, they brought in these three children uh, and adopted them from Bulgaria, right? Remember, we talked about what James says. What does James say? Pure religion is those that care for the widow and the Orphans, right? For the widows and the orphans, right? And so they brought them in, right? Which is awesome. But now hear me. It's easy for us to say, oh, isn't that sweet? Let me tell you, this is brutally hard work. It's called suffering, right? I mean, you do it for love. That's why we do it. You don't do it for suffering. You do it for love. But it is a struggle, right? I mean, for everyone, right? But they welcome them in. And here's what's great. Here's what I've loved, right? Is to see ZPCers, right? As we talk about the fact that we are body, we are brothers and sisters. Guess what? We say this with great regularity. Those three, the new kids, Cooper's been our kid for a while. These three kids, these are not just the Purvis's children, right? They are our children, right? These are our kids. And so to see ZPCers who have brought them meals, to see ZPCers who have brought them clothes, I don't think they need any more clothes, so please don't give them any more, that we brought them clothes. The ZPCers who have been praying for them, right? ZPCers who have gone in to kind of help out so that they could get away, right? So that the parents can get away from the kids for a little while, right? And that is a wonderful thing, right? That's something to celebrate. These are, are, are folks who are seeing clearly who Jesus is, who they are, their call in this world. Now, here's the thing, though. We're not done, right? A people who aren't seeing clearly will just say, so happy for you. No, no, no. We are happy for us, which means it's a call of all of us, right? So when you get this little card right here, right, if you think, hey, you know what? I could teach birth through fourth grade or help out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to check that, right? Why? Because it's a part of our seeing clearly, Right? Or what about, let's think about what's going on in our world right now, right? In America right now, the racial divide is gaining a lot of attention, and I think, quite frankly, rightfully so. But as we've talked about, as I've said whenever I've brought this up, what I am not keen on are people just yelling at one another about it, or throwing up something on Facebook about it, or doing nothing. Why? Because none of those things actually cost you anything. Those things are easy to do. It is easy to write something up on Facebook. It is easy to do nothing and to ignore it because it doesn't happen to us right here. 
And so one of the things then that over this past year we have begun to do is work more and more with, a, with an organization called Straight Up on the Northwest Side. Right? And what they do, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, and we'll talk about it even more coming up. What they do is they work primarily with African-American youth. And they do a lot of things. They teach them scripture. They help to mentor. They do tutoring. They give them a space. They have this beautiful little space for them to kind of call their own. A lot of these kids who are couch surfing, you know, a lot of these kids who don't have fathers, all these things. And so what I want, what my hope is for all of us, right, is that, is that rather than just kind of, you know, getting angry or rather than, you know, rather than, you know, just kind of acting as if, well, it doesn't really matter. What I want is I want us to be a people who go in there. Why? because it's going to cost us something. It will make you uncomfortable. And I want you to know that that is any adjective you want to use for good. Because that's a part of our call. If you are seeing more clearly, then you will see that that is a part of our call. There's even, and you can check off there, missions, community outreach, because in 2018, we're going to grow that even more. There's even one on here because we don't believe that it's just everything that's ZPC sanctioned, right? Now, now you, you may know who put this on there. It's neighboring. It was me. Okay? Why is that? Because I think it's critical. And in 2017, I've been able to stand up here and tell you some stories about some of our ZPCers who have done some, some, some really kind of remarkable things. Not like, by remarkable, I mean little things, right? But little things that take risk, right? Just this week, I heard about a couple who just moved into a neighborhood, a ZPC couple moved into a neighborhood and to a smaller subdivision, and they began to go around and just get to know their neighbors. And they were asking, because it's kind of, it's kind of uh, has some kind of older folks in there. Some of them are going south for the winter, but for the rest of them, many of them are widows, said, you know, what's it like up here in the winter? And they said, lonely. And so they said, okay, well, why don't we get together once a week? Why don't we get together? We can do a Bible study. We can just chit-chat. We can have coffee. We can do a book review. It doesn't matter. Why don't we just get together, right? And all of a sudden, then, there are opportunities there. Why? Because we believe, right? I know that if we see clearly, we know that when Jesus says, love your neighbor, here's what he means. You ready for this? Because I don't think I've ever said it before. Love your neighbor. Take the sunglasses off. See it clearly. It means love your neighbor. I am here to say yet one more time that in the years to come for the church in America, it is not primarily going to be what happens right here. It is going to be what is happening where you are working, living, and playing. That's where Jesus is going to be at work. Now, I realize that when you get this card that, well, there's one more thing. I better say this. There is also a financial part of this, right? I knew I was going to get in trouble if I forgot this, and I almost did. I, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I just knew that we wouldn't have that much time to talk about that part. Here's what I want to say to you about that. First of all, I want to say thank you. You guys have given sacrificially this year, and I, want you to, I, just, I just want to say thank you. That's mostly really all I want to say. And as you look for the coming year, I want you to remember the words of the converted Paul in Galatians when he says, do not weary, do not grow weary from doing good. 
that we will continue to do good in this way, continue to sacrifice so that we can further the mission of God each and every day. Now, as you think about this this week, as you think about Saul, Paul, and about the flogging, or they're being shipwrecked, if you think about the difficulty at times of thinking about going to your whole neighborhood and getting to know people or, or working up to a tithe if it's financially that you're thinking about, it's easy at times to become overwhelmed by all of that. And so I want you to remember what the early followers of Jesus were called. It says it here in this passage, that they are called followers of the way. Now, part of that's because Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life. But part of it, what I really love about that is there's this clear sense of being on a journey. You're not going to go from zero to 100 miles overnight, most of us, that we slowly begin to see better. One of my favorite stories, because it's so odd, is in Mark 8. Maybe you remember this story where Jesus goes to heal the blind man, and he puts his hands on on the blind man. He actually spits on his hands and, and, and puts his hands on the blind man. And the blind man, and Jesus says, what do you see? And the blind man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. You know that passage? And so then Jesus says, okay. And so he puts his hands over his eyes again. And this time when he pulls his hands away, he says, okay, I see people and they look like people. Conversion, seeing clearly, is more often than not a process each and every day of seeing more clearly. So my hope and prayer for us this week and in 2018 is that we will just be able to finish 2018 and look back and realize how much more clearly we see in the end versus the beginning. And so this morning, perhaps for some of you, maybe, maybe you're at that very first step of conversion. Maybe you've never taken that first step of understanding who Jesus is. Maybe that's your first step today. Taking of understanding Jesus is God. And if that's the case, I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Scott, someone at the cross after the service, we'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you're going to take the second step or the 15th, or maybe you're on like step number 25,000. Well, I hope and I pray that we can take those steps together as brothers and sisters in Christ and that we will continue to grow in what it means to see clearly who God is, who we are, who we are as brothers and sisters, and what God has called us to do in this world. For God's glory and for his glory alone. Amen? Let's pray. God, we do pray that you would help us to see you more clearly. We know that it will not be without cost. But we also know, Lord, that nothing good comes that is free, quite frankly, other than your grace. So we pray that as we receive that grace, that we would then follow you, no matter the cost. That your kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.